Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Calvin Carter, who is CEO of Bottle Rocket. We will discuss the disruptions caused by the connected consumer. Calvin established Bottle Rocket in 2008. He believes exceptionally innovative technology redefines our lives. He received the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award in 2013. For the last 12 years, Calvin has pushed Bottle Rocket to become a renowned digital transformation company that connects future-focused brands and their customers through sophisticated yet simple experiences. Calvin, welcome. Thank you for having me. What do we mean when we say connected consumer? What or who is a connected consumer? So a connected consumer, uh, kind of the plain definition is any consumer that prefers a digital means of interacting with brands other than other types of means. And the, you know, who they are, um, interestingly enough, a lot of people say, oh, you mean millennials. And, and I say, well, no. I mean, obviously, yes, it does include millennials. But the connected consumer um, age range is really kind of shocking. So let me go through a couple of um, numbers. So um, nearly 80%, I think it's 72% of baby um, of, of millennials and Gen Zers uh, definitely say that they are or demonstrating the behavior of a con- connected consumer. But nearly 60% of Gen Xers, such as myself, and and nearly 40% of baby boomers also say the same thing. And uh, this information, by the way, comes from um, uh, Salesforce Research. It was uh, um, published uh, last year. And it really did open the eyes of a lot of people saying like, oh, this is not for the next generation of consumers and I have time to to plan. This is the This is the consumer that I'm relying on you know, right now um, to, you know, help drive my business. And the there's a lot of, like, they, 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 they exhibit very, very specific behavior, which we can go into. And so why, why does this matter? Number one, it's, it's, it's uh, prevalent. And number two, um, their consumer behavior is different than traditional consumer behavior. And when brands can either, you know, win or lose by, 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 by um, taking advantage and, and leveraging that, that new type of behavior. Let's go back for a minute to what that definition means, meaning you said that consumers who were connected to a brand by digital means, are we talking about social media or devices as opposed to in-person shopping or, say, billboards what what exactly does digital means refer to in this case? Uh, great great question. So the 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 way we um, describe uh, the connected customer is they live in um, the connected lifestyle. And so what is the connected lifestyle? The connected lifestyle is um, when you're using usually technology enabled. Um, tools to connect to brands and one another. So, for example, um, apps on your phone, 
uh, websites increasingly on your phone versus on desktop. Desktop usage is down significantly. Um, and then there's other things in the connected lifestyle. There's connected cars. There's IoT, Internet of Things. There's uh, devices like the uh, Alexa. Um, there's, uh, you know, kiosks. If you go into uh, a Shake Shack here in Dallas, you'll have the opportunity to skip the line and use the kiosk. And if you don't want to use the kiosk, use the app on, on your phone. And so there's all sorts of ways of using technology, not for the sake of technology, but for the sake of simplicity and enjoyment for the consumer. And that's why this connected consumer um, group is growing so rapidly and is so prevalent because don't we all want things that are faster, you know, easier, more convenient, you know, that we can get through with less friction and that are more per personalized to us? Why? Why do we want those things? Yes. Yeah, so we want those things because um, uh, experience has become kind of the new currency. And so, so those are all words that would describe an experience. And if you uh, get another um, uh, fact from the same uh, study, by the way, of Salesforce, that 80% of customers say the experience a company provides is as important as or more important than the products and services they receive through said experience, which is really, really quite shocking. When I when I saw that and others saw that, we kind of like knew it, but we, uh, frankly, you know, that the the size of the number was was really um, uh, exciting, but also somewhat terrifying. Um, and and so what that means is that the connected consumer is all about the experience. Sure, they want, you know, something of decent quality or service, you know, that's, that's decent. But in all, overall, they really care about the total experience. So, and when you think about experiences, you think about experiences that are hard and experiences that are easy or simple. You think about experiences that had a lot of friction in them. You had to stand in a line. You had to type a lot of, you know, information in, you know, to, to get what you want. Uh, you had to wait a while. Um, you had to flag down a salesperson. You know, all those sorts of things um, would create would be um, or or payment methods being difficult to, to to process. Those would all be examples of friction. Um, personalized is important because people know that brands have the technology, they have the tools to treat them like an individual. Yet most brands. Um, you know, think about, you know, groupings of customers or segmentations of customers versus down to the individual. And this one-to-one -one personalization, which has, you know, frankly been growing over the last two decades uh, with the Internet revolution, where you could, you know, really drill down to connecting with a particular person, has just con just kind of like one-upped again with mobile and being able to um, to really get to know people, to either ask them their preferences or just watch their behavior. And based on their behavior, you can actually build preferential profiles to build more personalized experiences. And then I think at the end of the day, it has a lot to do with time and enjoyment. You know, time is increasingly, 
you know, the most important thing, the most valuable thing that we, that, you know, we realize that we have in, you know, in limited supply, you know, in our life. Um, and you want to minimize the amount of time you work on the things that are kind of, you just need to get them done. And you want to maximize the time where you're enjoying yourself. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean just like, you know, going to the movies with your friends kind of enjoying yourself includes that too. But it means like, well, tell me about that movie experience. Was it easy for all of you and your friends to decide which movie, what time, who's driving? Uh, was it, uh, was it, did you have, um, uh, uh, you know, concern about are you going to get a seat or was, or, or did the uh, theater offer, um, you know, a reserved seating where you could actually see where you're going to sit? Uh, was there a long line at the concession stand where did you have to miss the first 10 minutes because you were in the concession stand for 20? You know, all those sorts of things. And then even afterwards, um, you know, did you, did you continue, um, the experience into dinner or those sorts of things? So it's it's a lot about like you know being very very particular about where you spend your time and you spend your time on enjoyable things not unenjoyable things and it's about that value of the time itself. Is this something that is still settling? Meaning, for example, you just mentioned movies. Once upon a time, people thought that the availability of videos was going to result in the disappearance of movie theaters. And over time, it did change the spectrum, but we still have movie theaters. And some people believed that the availability of digital books was going to make print books disappear, and we now know that's not going to be likely. Is this connected consumer still... The, is the dust on the connected consumers still settling? Uh, certainly, and I, I would say evolving. Um, so there, there are some examples where there really was a, a stopping of doing something one way and a starting of doing something another way. An example that comes to mind is, you know, when I was growing up, when if I wanted to, um, you know, get, get some music either on a, on a cassette tape or CD later on, I would go to the store, and that's just the only way I would ever even think about buying music is at a store. Um, the and another example would be you know blockbuster in movie rentals, um, and 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 you know physical copy you know um, uh, acquisition. So then you take let's go back to music. When you take music, when the iPod came along, it basically kickstarted a massive disruption. And it wasn't just the iPod from Apple that, you know, um, that uh, is used now, but it's those types of experiences like Pandora and Spotify. We now have Spotify and Pandora and all sorts of other music services built into our car stereos that are connecting to the Internet versus, um, you know, only being able to connect to terrestrial radio signals. So the um, – actually, the the, you know – Everyone listening to this podcast is probably, if you know, based on the numbers, is probably doing so while they're doing something else like driving, running, walking, and they are, um, it's very convenient for them. It's right there in their pocket and they can, you know, use it when they want to use it. 
And the same thing for music. You know, it's, it's, you know, some people have a, um, a desire to actually go to record stores and there, so there's going to be some record stores and there are a very, very few, but there are, um, uh, uh, DVD rentals. Um, and it's interesting because most people, I agree with you, most people say like, oh, well, one thing is going to stop. Something else is going to start. So one thing has to die for something to be born. And I believe that really evolution is about um, new things being introduced. And there's really long overlap times. could be years, could be decades from when a new thing is coming on um, and an old thing is going away. An example of something that has not taken hold, and you kind of have to follow all of these you know, sentences with the word yet. But one of the things that's not taken hold is subscript, subscribing to a movie theater. So what has taken hold is reserve seating. What has taken hold is loyalty programs. What has taken hold is VIP experiences. What has taken hold is, you know, um, augmenting and improving the experience by having food and drink either available, you know, like, and I mean by food and drink, dinner, um, adult beverages that are either available in the lobby or literally brought to your seat when you push the green button. So those sorts of things are taking hold. Um, buying tickets online, you know, many, mostly through mobile devices, either websites or, or apps um, from the um, theater or aggregators like Fandango. Um, those things have taken hold, and we can kind of go through, like, you know, why each one maybe has taken hold. But what hasn't taken hold is, is another kind of disruption that has actually worked in other um, industries, and that's subscription. Subscription is a super powerful thing. Um, subscription is obviously uh, very popular in music. The idea of why should I own music when I, as long as I keep paying rent, I'll have access to an entire world of music versus just what I can afford. And the same thing is done with movies. I mean, yes, there are movies that you still buy one by one. Um, online through Apple TV and whatnot, but even that is changing to a more of a Netflix-type model where you subscribe and you have the full brand experience by being a, 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 a subscriber. We said we were going to talk about the disruption. So what are we referring to specifically when you, we say that we're going to talk about the disruptions caused by the connected consumer? Sure. So first off, uh, let's just talk about what disruption is and, and what I what I mean by uh, disruption. So um, it's the combination of the very material and significant changes that are happening in consumer behavior that we're observing today, and that's embodied in the behaviors of the connected consumer, and the material and significant changes that must be made to our businesses to succeed in this new behavior. So there's disruption that we can't control. Consumer behaviors are, are evolving. Um, they um, are self-organizing. They are demanding what they want. But then there's disruption that we can control, and that is how our businesses and organizations and even government uh, responds to this disruption. 
And, you know, and so I don't want anyone to think that this changed overnight. This has been, you know, building for quite a while. You know, the, the iPod came out, you know, a long time ago, probably at this point, I would say nearly 15 years ago. The iPhone came out uh, 12 years ago. That's when we started Bottle Rocket, the day after Steve uh, Jobs said he was going to open the iPhone to third-party developers. So it's been building and growing in importance. So early on, there's always like an excitement of kind of leading edge, bleeding edge. And then there's all, you know, predictions made on how this new thing is going to destroy old ways of, of, of working. But everything is really an evolution. The, the problem is, is that it's kind of like boiling a, a frog, you know, just turning the heat up little by little. A lot of brands, and I can't fault them because they have so much to lose. And a lot of brands say, well, we have time for that. We have time for that. We're not seeing the numbers. We're not seeing, you know, um, that many people, you know, using these digital techniques. And But then what they're unfortunately maybe not focusing on is the trend and the timing and kind of the, you know, almost exponential, you know, um, uh, growth of those trends. Because businesses do need, you know, really one to three years if they're going to make a big um, uh, transformation in how they operate, how they think, um, how they act, how they talk, how they serve their customers. It's, um, it's not something that can be done overnight, which is why startups are so well designed to take advantage of disruption because a startup has you know, no, no ongoing concern, no going concern. It has no legacy issues. It has no tech debt. It has no, you know, existing cultural um, biases that might, you know, prevent a company from doing, you know, what it wants to do. It doesn't have any of that. It's able to kind of start fresh and focus on only one thing, and that is taking full advantage of the disruption um, for whatever part of the, um, you know, industry that they are that that they are in but it doesn't mean that big companies can't disrupt themselves and can't do these sorts of things it's just different and you could say you know the startup person probably thinks it's easier for the big company because a big company usually has deeper pockets and a bigger um, momentum built so if they can you know, increase, um, uh, you know, if they can make great digital experiences like apps and whatnot, then they can get 5, 10, you know, 20 million people on them very quickly because the cost, cost of acquisition is much, much lower for existing brands, customer, customer acquisition. And then startups, cost, customer acquisition can be extremely high because you're having to kind of break through and and, and, you know, become an established and understood brand. So, but if you talk to the larger companies, they'll say like, oh, well, this is really, you know, a, a young person's game or this is a, a startup game where, you know, we have too much to lose. We can't make those changes. It's going to be much harder for us. So it's really interesting. It's like in each camp, they kind of want the benefits of the other. Who wouldn't? Um, uh, but so they both are, in my opinion – um, able to take advantage of this, uh, you know, this disruption. What are the positive aspects of these connected consumer and 
the negative aspects and how do they relate to this disruption that you've mentioned? So um, I guess let's say, you know, like, you know, positive for who um, let's and, and negative for who. So let, let's take the um, perspective of uh, the, the, the businesses, the brands that are serving these, um, these connected customers. Um, and so let's talk about, again, let's talk about the businesses. So, uh, first off, the good news, a growing number of companies really are accelerating their embrace of digital technologies. We've seen that, you know, for a really long time now, especially, you know, with kind of the, the major disruptional waves that, you know, um, Internet uh, created in the late 90s and the major disruptional rate waves that mobile has created um, in the um, early 2000s. And, but the bad news is, is that, a surprisingly large number of companies are still failing to put customer needs and their expectations at the center of their transformation strategies. So um, uh, one great way to, to talk about that is, you know, when, when I when I talk to business um, leaders and I say, well, 80% of your customers um, are interested in what their experience is with you. Um, and they go, oh boy. And then it becomes, and I say, and 57% have stopped buying from a company just based on the experience, not the product, not the service, the experience, the overall end to end holistic experience. And that is scary too to a company. But then the, the next number, uh, 67% of customers say they will pay more for a great experience because someone has to foot the bill for this transformation. There needs to be a return on investment. There needs to be a business case that can be made, um, whether you're a startup or an existing business. And the way that, and, and there, so there's light at the end of that, you know, seemingly very dark tunnel, and that's that people reward brands with more of their share of wallet when they are really connecting to and enjoying and could and would really miss the experience if you took them away took it away from them that's really powerful and interesting and that is if you would that be kind of basically what is bankrolling this ability to have this transformation the problem is is that you know transformation doesn't happen with within one um you know financial reporting quarter and so you have short term or what simon Sinek will say or finite um, uh, uh, things such as quarterly earnings reports, you know, annual uh, financial, uh, you know, reporting, you know, daily stock price increase and decrease. All those sorts of things are very finite. But what's what is infinite is business itself. Business has been here long before I was born, and will be long here long after I, I'm not here anymore. And when you think about, you know, transformation, that's an investment in the infinite. That's the long term. And sometimes, you know, a company can get, you know, begin to receive a return on investment within a calendar year. But I'll be honest, I think it's more like two to three calendar years before you're really starting to have the ability to say, thank gosh, we did this. So the advice I give to um, especially C-level executives and especially CEOs, is have the confidence and the um, 
uh, kind of like the stick-withedness of your long-term vision, even though you might be punished in the short term. So, you know, sometimes investors get really excited about disruption um, because disruption, you know, responding to a disruption successfully is a wonderful way to add massive enterprise value to your businesses. Companies are worth more when if they are undergoing or have completed a, you know, digital transformation. But also <clears throat> investors can get very, you know, concerned about the amount of money it takes and the amount of change it takes. Um, so there's this, you know, force of, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then the force of if we, you know, what has got us to where we are is not going to get us where we want to go. And we have to make a choice. Do we want to lead into the future or do we want to bleed into the future? And, of course, there's always a distance between the point at which technology is available and the point at which we, the consumers, we, the business owners, are able to absorb and adapt and adopt to that technology. And sometimes we embrace it and sometimes not so much, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about consumers – we have to realize that those are, you know, hundreds of millions of individual humans that make their own decisions. And so there always are, are certain individuals that are very excited about using a new, better way of doing things. And then there are groups that are kind of the wait and see um, and the and the, the non-believers. And then the wait and sees, as long as, you know, continues to demonstrate, you know, um, promise, they start to get on board. And then eventually the naysayers, um, uh, you know, will as as well. So an example of – but so it's it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that takes many, many years. But a lot of people don't realize, and this is the boiling the frog example, that this has been going on for a long time. Just in mobile, it's been going on for 12 full years. And so more and more people – have started to embrace these new ways of doing things. They see the benefit. They see the smiles on the faces of those that are, and they are tuning in, which is why we have such a, you know, so many baby boomers that are connected consumers, not just millennials, not just Gen Xers. So I'm sorry, continue. Let's talk about some of the concerns that this technology brings with it the privacy issues, the hacking, the incessant attacks on now small businesses. It started with major companies and big businesses that had robust defenses, and now they have moved on. I think the statistic I read earlier this year was that this was the year that they focused on smaller businesses with less robust defenses and the holding cities hostages and hospitals hostages with their data and sometimes their functionality. Tell us a little bit about those aspects. Sure. So I think that it's just um, the new face of an old problem we've, we've had since the dawn of humans. And that's that, you know, there are there, there are bad actors, and they will use whatever resources, weaknesses, and opportunities they can to to profit. 
So um, let's talk about credit cards. And I mean, I don't mean digital wallets. I mean old school credit cards. You know, when you imagined, imagine if we were having this conversation when MasterCard had just launched or only been in the, in, in the, you know, I mean, you know, known by people for a year or two, there would be so much concern about, well, how do I know if it's really you? And even your driver's license, that can be faked and all these different things. And they're all right to be concerned about that. But now fraud is basically baked into the formulas that businesses use to um, determine their cost of doing business with credit cards versus cash, um, checks and, and otherwise too. They, everything has a weakness. Cash is obviously, you know, valuable, the physical thing, and you have to protect the physical incarnation of it. You know, checks and credit cards have a different type of weakness. And so these technology, you know, enabled experiences, they have weaknesses too. Computer code is written by humans. Humans are, by definition, not perfect, and so mistakes are made, sometimes, you know, unfortunately, knowingly or, or not addressed um, properly, and sometimes just a weakness that's not intended until it's found. And the great thing about um, technology, and I think just everything that we work on, we find a way to deal with it. There are some very extreme but but, you know, uh, examples that are a minority in terms of all the other um, things that can, can happen within connected lifestyle, such as, you know, people being um, uh, um, blackmailed over, you know, Bitcoin and things like this. There's always going to be scams like that. So this is not a new thing. This is something that's been going on since the dawn of time, since, you know, you know snake oil salesmen, you know, 150 years ago to credit card fraud, to all sorts of other things. And businesses can't say, well, because there's a chance of fraud or because there's the chance of, um, you know, privacy issues, we shouldn't do it. It becomes we're going to do it. And now that basically means that figuring those things out is very, very important, and it's part of the transformation itself. Interestingly, um, I want to comment one more thing about uh, consumer behavior is consumers have very consistently um, demonstrated the um, uh, the willingness to exchange um, uh, their privacy and their security for additional convenience. So when you're asked, when you, when you're faced with, let's say an app or some other thing that is going to save you 20 minutes or that sort of thing, you always have to agree to all these stuff and we don't read it, but we all kind of know it's basically saying that, you know, something bad could happen and my data could be lost. And we say, well, I mean, I'd rather do the, the, the an enjoyable experience and just deal with the, you know, hopefully minor repercussions of doing that versus not being able to be part of that. And so those, these are side effects, um, but they are not side effects that eclipse the enjoyment of the experience. And when you, um, 
when you think about the consumer and from a consumer's point of view, you know, convenience becomes very important. Um, another example is uh, con- customers are also have shown a willingness to exchange the, you know, quality for convenience as well. So here's an example. I'm sure this may be happening in your, in your home. Your you or family member are sitting on the sofa. There's a beautiful 60-inch, you know, HD television screen with surround sound right in front of them. But they're watching a video on their iPhone or their iPad or their Android tablet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, why? That doesn't make sense at all until you realize that you push one button on your device and you're enjoying your experience versus turning things on and flipping through channels and finding the thing and getting it, you know, going um, on on your TV. And so just those little tiny things – we here at Bottle Rocket, we look at those things and then we start to um, sense trends in changing behavior and then essentially ring the bell for our customers in enough time for them to take advantage, um, you know, of those things that frankly don't make sense logically, but they're happening. What do you say to listeners who say, Yes, it's true that back in the day, a long time ago, when credit cards were first introduced, that was a very scary concept and that there have always been, as you said earlier, dodgy players. But now it's not that there are some few dodgy players, it's that the world is becoming increasingly connected. There are well-meaning people out there looking to have a computer for every single person on the planet. But So what that means, the other side of that coin, is that there are millions of people who have access to the Internet, even if they don't have a computer, perhaps through a smartphone, perhaps through a community computer, that can now also engage in scams. And for many of those people, even a very small amount of money, what would be almost insignificant for someone in the Western world or in the developed world, it can be a significant amount of money, can mean the difference between eating or not eating, to put it down to basics. And they now have access. They can connect to people across the world. They can now breach defenses. They have now found ways to clone people's phones and, by doing that, to access their bank accounts. It's a much bigger threat. What would you say to that? So the threat um, uh, does continue to grow. And one of the things that technology allows is uh, quick scaling. So when you figure something out, you can then scale it very quickly with technology versus if you have one brick-and-mortar store that's working and you want to scale that, I mean, you know, how long does it take to build a 1,000 brick-and-mortar stores? A really long time. How much money does it take? A lot of money. So you are right that the same, like, um, characteristic and benefit of tech-enabled experiences being scale is being leveraged by businesses to then serve very large um, numbers of customers 
at a much higher level of experience and many times at a lower cost and a higher 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 profit margin. That same scale is being used by bad actors, hackers, because when they can figure out a particular um, uh, you know scheme or plan, they can then um, scale that and they can have you know you know armies of virtual servers doing the you know the work of ten thousand bad actors because they have the ability to scale it quickly. But hacking is not easy to do. It's really, really hard to do um, hacking into systems that matter. It's e- it might be easy to hack into, you know, your uh, a, an old Wi-Fi device um, if you can find if you can drive around long enough and find one and and, and do your attacks. So there's always going to be those sorts of things. But really, when it comes to the ones that that can really create a lot of damage. Um, it's hacking is not an easy thing to do, and it's getting harder every day, because much like I'm sure any disruptive um, change, which is um, atta- you know, which, which is also leveraged by bad actors, um, we're building more and more and more things into tech-enabled experiences to increase privacy and security. So, for example, you know the new laws in um, in Europe for uh, privacy that um, impacted, frankly, the entire world. So a lot of our North American, you know, primarily North American focused clients had to get on board with those sorts of things. I think you will start to see that type of thing happening, I know, you know, locally all over the world. But just the um, just that one example from Europe has has actually impacted uh, the whole world. But that's not enough. That's but but it is an important brick in the wall. Another important brick in the wall is um, we're getting we're getting much better at managing you know all these passwords and using biometric data, which is anything can be hacked, but is really 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 hard to hack. Um, but and, and that biometric data is getting better and better and better over time. And by biometric, I mean you know, uh, let's say um, Face ID on your iPhone or Touch ID on your iPhone or the touch sensor on, on the back of many, many popular Android phones. These sorts of things that really do require, you know, more and more of the individual's um, uniqueness to then present themselves. Because I can show you a doctor driver's license and put my photo on it and come off like you but I can't um, agree to pay for something or transfer money in my bank if my bank is using things like biometrics. And, of course, there's, there's always going to be exceptions to every rule. But this, at the same speed that hackers are, are either scaling or growing in number and getting better at what they do, it's still a tiny uh, minority compared to the transactions that are happening that are not happening from bad actors. And we can't, you know, give up all of the conveniences that we have because we never want to have any possibility of, of having any fraud or any attack. And in no way am I trying to marginalize the experience of individuals that have had major problems in their life because they were attacked. Imagine, I mean, identity theft was, was a, a 
you know, was like a new and terrifying thing. It was never a new thing, but it was a newly terrifying thing uh, a decade ago. And, and, and we have moved forward with that. People did not stop using credit cards and stop using online accounts. They didn't stop doing those things. They didn't stop emailing, you know, their social security numbers to their title companies to close the close on their homes. They didn't do that sort of stuff. We've started to focus on making the technology better and better and better so that customers will, while always will have a potential threat of fraud and, and in getting hurt in some way, that threat goes down, 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 but it never goes away. And 10 years from now, if, if we're talking again, there'll be some other thing other than just um, hackers and phishing schemes um, that are, are happening. And like anything, you know, there are some, I agree with you, there are some parts of the world that, that you know, kind of get it. And they've had experience with it, and they've they've um, heard from the media, and they've even heard best practices as to how to how to protect themselves. But imagine all of the countries that are are developing; those become extremely um, uh, attractive targets, not because there's an enormous um, amount to gain, but the um, the countermeasures, if you would, are are smaller. The weakness is greater. And when a person is not used to working with technology and Internet and they get an email that says, can you wire me $180 to get out of, you know, jail or whatnot, they might be more inclined to do it because they're not aware of yet of all of the things that could happen. But in in North America, for example, you know, most people know about phishing schemes. People still click on links they shouldn't click on in their email, but it's way, 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 way down in terms of in terms of what I call self-inflicted wounds when we know we shouldn't do something and we did it anyways. Do you have any studies, any reports that point to that decline? Because a lot of what I'm seeing is the opposite, that the number of scams and the number of attacks is growing the attacks are growing the um there's not been a um equally growing um success in those attacks and again everyone's going to have a different um viewpoint on this because you know in one sense you could be talking about just you know, individual hackers that are, you know, sending out phishing schemes. Um, there's actually YouTube videos. There's YouTube channels um, where where good hackers um, basically create a, a very attractive incentive for a bad hacker to find, and then the good hacker traps the bad hacker. It's actually kind of funny, <laughs> um, these videos. Uh, and, and, and so we're getting so much better at that, but not everyone is. But then you talk about, then you, then what's really gets scary is when you start to take that to the level of government, which has, you know, arguably more infinite resources, uh, to achieve the things that they, that they want to achieve. And, when it goes to government and when governments start to use these techniques, um, that's when it, it, you know, really big damage can be made. The good news is that the stuff that, you know, governments are usually after are usually 
the kinds of things that are so highly valued that an enormous amount of time and money has been invested in securing it. But it's really unfortunate because if you could imagine, if we could take every dollar that we spend on making something more secure and just spent that on making it better, um, it'd be amazing. But we can't. We, we, we have, there's always going to be some percentage of um, inefficiency, if you would, in any system, you know, caused by, uh, you know, corruption and bad actors. And so I do think that while it can be a, a pendulum back and forth, and it is a pendulum, it does come back. And so when I mentioned earlier about, like, you know, 10 years from now, we won't be worried as much about what we're worried about today. But I guarantee you there will be another thing that we'll be worried about. If there's one thing humanity has, has taught us is that, you know, not not everyone acts, um, uh, you know, the right way. And many, many want to take advantage of others. It's super unfortunate, but it shouldn't be something that prevents us from moving forward producing better experiences and, you know, making improvements in people's lives. It's, you know, you could, you could draw an analogy to, you know, the um, side effects of, of new drugs. There's, there's a, there's a cost to innovation and the cost can be very scary. And I don't mean just money, you know, it could be in, in the, in the case of healthcare, it could be your life. Calvin, thank you for joining us from Dallas, Texas. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself. And to our audience, you have been listening to Calvin Carter, who is CEO of Bottle Rocket, who discussed the disruptions caused by the connected consumer. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.